Listener Production. Just as before we kick in, I just have a recommendation. If you feel like you need a good laugh, and we've spoken on the podcast before about how laughter is so important and it is lacking for a lot of people who are missing out on a lot of human connection at the moment. And things do feel quite heavy. So if you feel like you need some sweet relief and a release, Girls 5 Ever is something we have not spoken enough about on this podcast. And that is a disservice that we've done to all of you. I have now watched it at least 12 times. Every time it's brought a smile to my face, I've memorized almost all of the songs. And if you haven't watched it yet, you absolutely should get on that. We are not being paid to say this. I just feel like it is a duty that we have to you to let you know that it is 100% worth your time. And if you have already seen it, there's a lot that you probably missed. Every time I've gone through it, I have noticed something that I missed on the first go. So just putting that out there for anyone who feels like they need something that's going to make them smile this week. Gistners, welcome back to Just The Gist for the hundredth time, if you can believe it. Yes, this is our 100th episode. I was a bit weak. <laughs> Look, a few months ago, we were planning what we'd be doing to celebrate because obviously we wanted to do something special to mark this milestone. But, you know, life is what happens when you've made other plans. For a while there, it looked like we'd be on tour with our live shows when the 100th ep rolled around. but you know. Um, So we're postponing celebrations till Rosie's back from the spa. We'll do something really fun and silly then and try to find a way to include all of you. In the meantime, I know we've got billboards up all around the country saying just the gist, celebrating 100 episodes. And I've got a little bit of a request. If you spot one of these billboards, can you please take a photo of it and either post it on Instagram and tag us or DM it to us because I'm up here on Magnetic Island and Rosie's away in the spa. So your photos are literally the only way that we're going to get to see any of them. So thank you in advance. Now, knowing that this is our centenary, it did feel apt to go all the way back to the very beginning and revisit the first ever installment of Just the Gist Classic, which was the story of Monica Lewinsky. This was first released in November of 2019, and technically it was our 15th episode, but it was the first non-batchy episode. So you could make the argument that this is really where Just the Gist began. And coincidentally, Monica Lewinsky is very much a person of historical significance right now because just last week she released a new documentary that she produced and narrated And that dropped while the TV series about the Bill Clinton scandal that she also produced is halfway through. So Monica's having a moment right now. She's been popping up all over the place doing interviews about both of her projects. She's reclaimed the narrative about herself and she's got a really important message for the world about the effects of public shaming online. I already had a lot of admiration for Monica Lewinsky, but now I just have even more. So I'm going to give you the gist of what's in her documentary and why I believe it's worth watching and also why American Crime Story Impeachment, her TV show, is also worth a glance. So stick around for that at the end after we've played the original episode. If you want to skip straight to that point, totally fine. We'll put the time code in the show notes so you can jump right there. But 
Unless you've listened to the original ep multiple times, I really think you'll enjoy listening to it again, especially the bit where Rosie is shuddering and gagging and struggling while she tries to describe what happened with Monica and the cigar. And before we jump in, good news, Rosie's doing pretty well in her first week at her new facility. She's been getting much better care than she was getting previously. Some days are better than others, of course, but she's keeping herself busy crocheting this enormous blanket for her sister. It's beautiful and very impressive. I'm sure she'll share some pictures at some point. And she also treated herself to some more vintage Polly Pockets the other day because the gal just can't get enough and that made her very happy. Thank you again for all of the lovely messages that you've been sending through. They mean the world. Okay, let's go. Monica Lewinsky. Okay, on to our Just the Gist big topic. First non-Bachelor one ever. Okay. I know people love when I say the word gender dynamic, so I thought I'd pick one that kind of is on theme. Mm -hmm. So this week I'm going to give you Just the Gist of Monica Lewinsky. Oh, good one. Yes. Yes, Okay, so here are my reasons. Because she was here in Australia last week and I didn't get tickets, I was devo. She did a couple of Q&As. She speaks now about bullying and online harassment and everything Mm -hmm. she went through. But also because I think most people think that she's just a slutty slutto macaw from Hawesville who stooped the president and then dobbed on him and got him in heaps of trouble. Mm. Growing up, that's kind of the basic understanding of the story I had because it all Mm -hmm. happened when I was like nine or eight or nine. Mm. Um, But it's actually like a lot more detailed than that. And she has come out in the last few years finally and re-entered public life and started talking quite poignantly about what she went through. But in terms of what people actually know in the detail, I don't think people really know a lot. Like Mm. what do you, what's your understanding of what happened? Um, I don't know a great deal of detail about exactly what happened back in the 90s when all of this broke. Yeah. Um, But I know that uh, in recent years, possibly even just this year, she's re-emerged and she's spoken about the way that she was harassed by the media, that she really was the very first victim of cyberbullying. Yes, she says um, patient zero of public shaming, online public shaming is what she says, yeah. Um, and obviously that had a horrific impact on her. Um, Hillary got dragged through the mud as well, and Bill sort of emerged clean as a whistle. I'm Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How was my Bill just then? (laughs) (laughs) He kind of talks like Matthew McConaughey a bit. All right, I'm Bill. Because he's from the South, All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Anyway. No idea. Um, Anyway, so now she's sort of re-emerged and... In a way, she's sort of being recognised as a hero today. A little. Yeah? Yeah. Feminist spokesperson, mm-hmm. which um, we'll get to. But mm-hmm. that's the thing. Everybody kind of knows now, particularly people of our generation saw, she wrote a Vanity Fair article a few years ago, which was mm. her very first time really giving her side of the story. Then she gave a TED Talk, mm-hmm. which is where she called herself patient zero of public mm-hmm. shaming. And since the whole Me Too movement, she's also really started talking about, because she always was really adamant that the whole thing was consensual, nothing was forced about it or anything. But since Me Too has happened and I think we're becoming more educated and understanding about how those, not just gender dynamics, but particularly power dynamics yep. work, mm. she says now, like, no, it was 
consensual. It wasn't forced, but there were certainly power dynamics at play that as a 21-year-old I didn't understand. So I always thought it was an equal situation, but now she's realising that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So there you go. But I don't think people know... The deets. So I did a bit of reading. Take us back to the 90s. I'm going to give you just the gist. Okay. The year is 1995. That long ago? Yeah. Wow. Um, She's 21. Mm -hmm. She's graduated uni and she gets an internship at the White House, which aren't easy to get, but her parents are really well off and pretty well connected. Mm -hmm. And so they make a call to someone who knows someone who gets her an internship at Mm -hmm. the White House. Um, and they pay for her to stay at the Watergate for the entire internship, which is like 18 months. So, What's the Watergate? The Watergate is a very famous hotel in Washington, D.C., um, which is at the centre <gasps> of everything that happened oh, with Nixon. Yeah, okay, yes. Because yes. everything's a something gate now. Yes. Oh, that was a hotel. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. The, uh, we don't need to go into it, but it, it's <laughs> just all centred around the yeah. Watergate Hotel. Yeah. And that's where she's staying. It's an expensive place to stay because it's like quite an iconic place. And so she, her um, internship is with the chief of staff to the president. So even though as an intern, she's probably just photocopying and stuff, she still is quite at the centre of important stuff because the White House is big. So she could be at the other end just with the Department of Garbage Collecting. But no, she's like in the thick of it. And so she does see the president and she um, says that they like would swap flirtatious looks. And she told her mum that, like, she has a bit of a crush on him, but she never talked to him or anything. But then there's this thing that happened called a government shutdown, which I only understand what it is from watching the show The West Wing. Uh So basically it's when, like, the government and the opposition are trying to agree on a budget for the year. They can't agree on one. And until they can agree on signing on the dotted line, this is the budget, everything in the government has to shut down because they have to stop paying people until they've agreed what they're going to pay people. And so things like national parks, national libraries, um, like visa applications, passport, anybody who works in government just gets sent home and doesn't get paid. So at this time, most people in the White House get sent home, but because interns don't get paid, they stay and keep working because they're not part of the shutdown. So there's no one to tell them what to do. Well, I mean, there's a few key personnel uh-huh. are still there. Like the president's still there, obviously. The uh-huh. chief of staff is still there. But all pretty much non-essential personnel get sent home. So any assistants, administrative people who have any knowledge of anything are all gone. So you have interns who at one point were just like photocopying and now like delivering things to the president's desk. You yep. know what I mean? It's kind of like if all the teachers went home in high school and all the year 12s took over. Uh-huh. It's kind of like that. Yeah. It was giving me vibes of, you know, on the last day of school when only like 30% exactly. of the kids would actually show up. Yes. And so they'd condense everyone into one class and just put a video on. Exactly. Yeah. That is basically <laughs> what, okay, that is the nature of what is happening at the White House at this time. It's like not really usual, there's all these young interns running around. And so this is when the president's like, ooh, I'm going to get me mm-hmm. someone cute. <laughs> <laughs> and so they start talking to each other at this time mm-hmm. because there's reason for them to because she's actually got important access that she wouldn't normally have. Mm-hmm. And then one night she's bringing something to the chief of staff's office, which is next door to the Oval Office, and she's dropping something off in there and um, he's in there by himself, President Clinton. And um, so they, like, have a bit of a talk and a chat. And during this flirtation, 
they start laughing because she makes a joke about how, and she's openly flirting with him, mm. do you want to see how much higher my um, G-string is than my pants? <laughs> and so she lifts up her jacket and, you know, back in the, 90s and early 2000s, literally your G-string would be around your waist and your pants would be around your hips. Mm -hmm. So she lifted it up to show him and they both had a bit of a giggle, like, ha, ha, ha. And so that was their first openly we're flirting kind of moment. So she shows him how the G-string and that he's... Topic? Did she ever discuss how know. they started talking about panty looking, lines? I tried looking into it and it was just like, by chance one night they found themselves alone and the conversation led to, here's my G-string. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say she was being pretty brazen. It sounds like in this whole thing, she really did have a big crush on him. She's yeah. 21 and she kind of pulls out the big gun 21-year-old flirt moves, <laughs> which is want to see my knickers. My whale tail. Yeah, right? So, <laughs> um, so that happens and then she goes back to work and I think he's been transfixed by it because later that night she's walking past the same office and he calls her in and she goes in and this time she says to him, you know, I actually have a pretty big crush on you. Mm. And I told my mum that I've been enjoying working here because I have a big crush on you. And he laughs and then he says, well, do you want to see my private office? And she says, yes. And so they go into his private office, which isn't the Oval Office, it's like a little side one. They go in there and they kiss, they make out. And then she says she... Um, better get back to her desk. People will notice she's gone, so she goes back. And then even later that night, he summons her to his office again um, and then they have a full-on make-out in the private office, like touching each other's special places make-out. Like they just get right to it. Mm -hmm. um, and then apparently he takes a phone call while they're doing that because he's the president and, like, People need to talk to him all the time. Uh -huh. um, and so it's all very, like, risque and naughty and sexy. And um, and then at the end of it, of that make-out sesh, which these sessions usually only last a few minutes at best because yeah. people will notice, she writes down her name and number because I don't think he even knows her name at this point, gives it to him. And that's how it started all in that night when, you know, the adults were away and the kids just, were on their own. And do we know about all of these from those tapes that one of her friends released? Yes, I will explain. Okay. So, I mean, the majority of this information that I got is I read the Star Report, which a guy called Ken Starr investigated the whole thing and then there's a report. So I read a lot of that um, and that goes into a lot of embarrassing detail. And then the tapes as well, which I'll tell you about. So after it starts that night, what happens next? Slash how far did it go? Well... She becomes immediately obsessed mm -hmm. because she's 21 and she's got a crush on this important guy. Mm -hmm. um, the relationship, and I use that term loosely, lasts for about 18 months from that night. And in that time, in that 18 months, it is basically a girl who was just totally in love and obsessed with a guy and a guy who doesn't really remember she exists yeah. until he gets a pain tingle and feels like hooking up. Uh -huh. But she's convinced that it's something way bigger than what it is. They hardly ever see each other, and this surprises people. So in that 18 months, they were only able to sneak away and do those secret office rendezvous nine times. Nine times in 18 months. Yeah, 
nine times. She got a little love and that um, was every all, two months. That was, no, because that was all pretty much condensed to pretty much the beginning, oh. right? And they also never had full-on, ooh, I hate this word, penetrative. <laughs> <laughs> penetrative. Ugh, intercourse. Ugh. They never did that. Uh-huh. Um, they. It was all making out and other things. Mm-hmm. And he also would never finish. Outside of that, they call each other a lot. So there's about 50 calls logged in the White House call logs to her apartment and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll... He, like, had a couple presents sent to her, like a book, and she gave him a tie. and um, But basically she's reading into every tiny thing that he says and does and what happens, and it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm. He's not that into you. Like, mm. and she doesn't realise. Like, it gets to the point where she's uh, so obsessive that um, they transfer her to the Pentagon. So she gets transferred out of the White House because... Everybody in the White House can kind of tell, like his secretary and his chief of staff. It's not a secret. I mean, it's a workplace, people. So they transfer her out, but then she just starts turning up at events where he is, like so functions around Washington, D.C. So, yeah, basically in that 18 months, they only see each other nine times um, and they call a bit and that's kind of it. Like it's not as much as what people think. In that 18 months is, yes, when the cigar thing happened, which is what a lot of people talk about. I forgot about that. Okay, so this is a thing that I didn't know. (laughs) I grew up just hearing stuff about a cigar on the news, not understanding what it meant, Mm -hmm. and that just filed away in my brain. And so when I hear about it now, I'm just like, oh, yeah, something with a cigar, I don't know. Uh So I did. when I stopped to think about it, I was like, I don't actually know what happened. Uh Uh-huh. So I can't wait to hear you describe it. I'm going to keep this PG. <laughs> and if there's kids in the car, just skip ahead 30 seconds. I'll just get it out of the way really fast. So he takes a cigar and accesses her lady garden with it. And then he pulls the cigar out and puts it in his mouth and says, mm, that tastes good. Okay, it's over, everyone. It's over. It's over. It's safe. It's safe to keep playing. Does he light it, or is it too damp from that point on? Oh, I don't know. I'm giving you just the gist. (laughs) Holy Oprah! I stopped reading as soon as I got the basic gist of what happened. Okay. Um, So that seems dangerous. That's when that happens. What's interesting is he cut things off after 18 months. And he cuts things off when he finally does Oh, mm-hmm. finish. Mm-hmm. One time mm-hmm. he does. And that's the time that it gets on the, the blue famous dress. blue dress. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how did they get busted? So I think this is the part that a lot of people really aren't familiar with. Like I always just thought, oh, she she told everyone. Isn't that how, isn't that what happened? But no, she told a few people in her life, but she loved him and was obsessed with him and thought they were star-crossed lovers and they were meant to be together. So she wasn't going to get him in trouble. So she had a chance to dob him in because this is where other women come into it. Mm -hmm. So he was being investigated for doing inappropriate things with other women in the White House. Ken Starr, the investigator, was investigating him for that. And in the course of that investigation, Monica got pulled into an interview and asked, 
have you done anything inappropriate with the president? And she said no because she called him the night before and said, I've got to go to this interview tomorrow, what should I say? And he said, deny it and you'll be fine. So that's what she does. But for almost the entire 18-month period that they were, you know, Mm. Monica was telling her friend about it and her friend is Linda Tripp. Mm -hmm. And Linda Tripp hates the president hates Democrats, wants him out of the White House. And so she's pretending to be Monica's friend and giving her advice, but the whole time she's taping all the phone calls. Mm. And she initially was taping the phone calls because she was going to write a book about it. Mm -hmm. But then she decided, actually, like, I'm going to use these tapes to get him in trouble rather than to make money for me. But she was also giving her advice, like, actively trying, like, actively building a case, like, So Monica told her, finally, last night, um, he finally let me take him all the way. Mm. And Linda Tripp is the one who said to her, keep that dress, don't wash it, just in case. This all goes Mm. badly. It's an insurance policy for you. Like, Mm. keep it. And so Monica kept it because Linda Tripp told her to. Um, So Linda Tripp's kind of, you know, she's kind of smart. I mean, she had a plan and she was getting it done. I mean, I'm not, I'm morally reprehensible in my opinion. (laughs) Wouldn't be my plan, but smart. True. Yes. She got the outcome that she wanted at the cost of, I'm sure, an important friendship. I don't think it was to her, to be honest. But (laughs) So she takes the tapes to Ken Starr, who's been trying to pin Clinton on a bunch of things, including uh, harassing this other woman. And Ken Starr's like, yes, thank you. We really effing needed this. We got him. Hooray! So then, this is really sad. Linda organises to meet Monica for lunch Mm -hmm. at a food court. And when Monica turns up, Ken Starr is there with a bunch of FBI agents. Oh. They take her to a hotel room. Don't let her leave for 11 hours while they question her. Oh. Yeah. So this is what people don't realise. She went through, this was scary, right? And she's 22. 22 by this stage. And no one knows where she is. No. She's in this room for 11 hours. They let her call her mum, but that's it. Mm -hmm. And basically what they say to her is, like, she won't tell them anything. She Mm. refuses. But then they say... You did that other interview where you said nothing happened. Mm -hmm. We have tapes proving that it did. So we're going to charge you with perjury, which is like lying under oath, and you will get sent to prison for a gazillion million years Mm -hmm. unless you tell us everything that's happened. So they Mm -hmm. basically blackmail her into telling them. They're like, you will go to prison unless you tell us. And then they also managed to get the blue dress because the mum has the blue dress. She'd been keeping it at her mum's house. And they also say to her mum, we will charge you unless you give us that. So give us the blue dress and we'll give you immunity and then you don't have to worry. So the mum hands over the dress. And so at this stage, they have the tapes, they have Monica, they have Monica's mum, they have Linda Tripp, and they have the jizz dress. Mm -hmm. So like... He's effed. Uh-huh. Any questions at this point? <laughs> it's so different to what you think. Hey, like she didn't want to do like she didn't want to. They made her. Yeah. I mean, I thought that um it was just a matter of Linda Tripp going immediately to the media. And then once it was in the media, it all just started to snowball no. from there. I didn't realize there was an FBI investigation going on in the background. Yes. Um 
I mean, perjury laws exist for a reason. Mm. Obviously, really important to actually find out what is actually true. Um, but I think the fact that she perjured herself under the instruction of the President of the United States. Which is a huge part of uh, the impeachment case against him was that he had um, coerced somebody into lying. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, well, I can't wait to hear why he actually didn't get impeached because I have absolutely no idea. Oh, yeah, I can um, tell you why. But, okay, so then from this point, Okay, so then? from this point, he's effed. So I've got here, how does it wrap up slash impeachment? Here we go. So Ken Starr and the investigation team, they go public with the accusations because these investigations are very public things. Like you can see, well, probably you can't see because you don't watch the news, but with what's happening with the impeachment hearings right now in um, the US, um, they're trying to impeach Trump at the moment. So it's all on the news. It's all public. Like Uh it's not done in secret. So everybody knows. Mm -hmm. And that's when he does that famous press conference where Mm -hmm. he says, I did not have, go do it. Sexual relations with that woman. Yes. So that's I went he, way too south. <laughs> with that woman. With that woman. Deep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he gets interviewed and he denies it as well. But this is all before he knows how much evidence they have. And that's the thing, because they want to be able to bring impeachment charges against him. Mm-hmm. And to be impeached basically means you're you get fired as the president. But just to have sex with someone isn't an impeachable offence. I mean, it just means you did a crappy thing, but Mm. to lie under oath is an impeachable offence. So they wanted to trap him, Mm -hmm. which they do. There was also some PR form that he filled out where he had to, like, uh, confirm that he hadn't had any, like, fraternisation in the White House, and he said no. So they Mm. also had this form. Mm -hmm. And so they bring impeachment trial against him, um, but it doesn't go through. And here's why. And here's why Trump will probably never get impeached because they can bring an impeachment trial mm-hmm. and they can show all the evidence. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it was um, not that he'd done it with Monica, but that he'd lied under oath about it. He'd encouraged her to lie about it. They were the impeachment charges. So they bring all the evidence and then the way they decide is that the Senate votes. Uh-huh. And so the Senate is half Republican, half Democrat or whatever, uh-huh. approximately. I don't know about that. I mean, it sounds about right, doesn't it? <laughs> so all the Democrats voted not to impeach, obviously, because uh-huh. that's his party. And 10 Republicans also voted not to impeach. So he had the majority and so he didn't get impeached. They okay. just voted not to impeach. That's how easily it happened. Wow, really? And so that's why they're saying at the moment, even though all these impeachment trial stuff is happening with Trump right now, it doesn't matter because when it comes down to it, they won't vote to impeach him. So, And to this date, I'm assuming that the Senate is pretty much a majority white male group. Yes. And back in the 90s, surely it was almost exclusively old white male. I think that's why... It surprised people that those that number of Republicans voted not to impeach, but I think it really did come down to the fact that they thought his sex life is nobody's business and how dare you and men are allowed to just, this shouldn't be part of it. And, you know, people think he did get impeached or if they know he didn't, they want to know why. It's literally because they voted not to. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of his presidency just kind of peters out. Like mm-hmm. after that, his approval rating's pretty low. People mm-hmm. are sick of him. And he kind of, like, finishes his presidency. The next election is between Al Gore and George Bush in Mm -hmm. the year 2000. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say that it's 
possibly the reason Bush won. Really? Backlash mm. against the Democrats. But also they say that um, possibly Bush won because the Democrats got too spooked to put to let him campaign for Gore, mm-hmm. but people actually did want to see him. Mm-hmm. And so it's like both. It's like maybe it was backlash against the Democrats, maybe it was because the Democrats got too scared, and mm. but whatever, it still had a huge effect. Yeah. And that's how we ended up with Bush <sighs> um, in 2000. And... Monica pretty much disappeared from public life for years and years. Yeah. Until she kind of popped up recently, like we said. Yeah. And started actually really talking about how awful it was for her and what happened. I mean, she was a joke. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. You say she disappeared. She stepped out of the spotlight, but her name was brought up on every comedy show, every radio show you would listen to. There was some sort of cheap joke made at the expense of Monica Lewinsky, a cigar and a blue dress. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I'm 33 and you're, what, 35 now, Mm -hmm. right? And so we both know of the cigar and the blue dress and Mm. of this chubby woman because everybody would comment on her weight Mm. and – but I never knew what any of it was. Mm. To me, it was just always like this woman who was kind of a joke. Yeah. Like, and who, you know, tried to steal someone's husband mm. and like was a predator and went after him. And what's really interesting is I was in a job a few years ago at a mm-hmm. place <laughs> and it was when um, she wrote that Vanity Fair article. So it was like the first major thing where she'd really mm-hmm. given her um, sort of considered opinion after a long time. And I remember when that article came out, the office I was in was split and it was all the older kind of Gen X boomer women who were like, nah, homewrecker, don't try and make yourself the victim. You went after him. You did it. And all the sort of younger millennial and younger women were like, she was 21 years old and he was the most powerful man in the world. She was taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And there's no way he didn't know that she was in love with him, right? Like Mm -hmm. he would have known Mm. Like, so it was really interesting divide. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yes, she told him that she had a crush on him, but he should have known a whole lot better. Yeah. Yes, he took full advantage of the fact that he had this star-struck young thing um, who was willing to do whatever he said. Exactly. With or without a cigar. <laughs> Wasn't the term they kept using marital aid? Ew, yeah. is it? <laughs> Which made no sense to me as an 11-year-old. But thanks for describing it to us. <laughs> it's excruciating <laughs> just graphically for me enough. to describe. So, I mean, that's it. That's just the gist of Monica. I- so questions, comments. What was she doing in all that time? Because I know she, like really had a massive breakdown and she was on suicide watch mm. for a while and obviously it took her a while to rebuild her mental health. But then do you know what she was doing from that point onwards? Um, no, because I'm giving you just the gist. Okay, right. <laughs> but I will say from what I've read, she really struggled to find work, mm. so that was difficult for her. Um, she ended up working um, on and off for like some non-profits uh-huh. and – There's an HBO special where she um, got questioned by the audience and she did this bizarre prank with Tom Green. Um, Remember the guy who was married to Drew Barrymore? And he used to do really gross stuff. Well, it was actually quite a clever prank. It was messing with the media. So he basically kept saying, um, Monica Lewinsky and I are going to, I think it was like Spain or something, 
Spain and we've got a huge announcement to make. Monica and I have a huge announcement to make to all of you. We're really excited to share this big news with you. Mm. And so the news just went crazy and started printing that Monica Lewinsky was going to marry Tom Green. Mm. And then they got there and all the press was there and he's like, oh, yeah, Monica um, uh, is starting a scarf line and she's really excited <laughs> to tell you all about it. <laughs> so, like, she had a sense of humour about, like, I think uh-huh. she was trying, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but really it's hard. Like, she said that in the years before she started talking about it, which was about five years ago now, mm. she started dipping her toe in seeing what the reaction would be. She just wasn't doing a lot yeah. and was struggling to make money even. Yeah. Like, it was, what could she do? Yeah. Well, I can imagine because she's still quite recognisable to this day. Yeah. It would have been hard to even just go out in public and make eye contact with a stranger because you'd know exactly what they were thinking. So I think the fact that she's now stepped back out into the spotlight is incredibly brave. Taking and control of your narrative, man, it's a huge game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Good on her. And look, you haven't really mentioned Hillary much here, but I know that Hillary yeah. also was kind of ridiculed a lot back while all this was happening. Yeah, well, one of the grossest things was in the Ken Starr report, they made a huge deal about the fact that um, when Monica went down on him, he said to her, nobody's done that for me for a long time. Oh. So it was kind of like my prudish feminist wife who mm. won't do that. Like, mm. And so she got a lot of crap for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of people also get mad about Hillary. Um, Staying with him. Not staying with him, but not being supportive of the women that he's harassed and allegedly, you know, abused mm-hmm. and and taken advantage of. Yeah. Like she's actively worked with him to disparage, mm. like, the women behind those rumours and to say that, like, these things didn't happen and these women are lying and whatever. Mm. But she would know the true nature of her husband. Yeah. Did anyone else come forward? Heaps of people have come forward. Uh I mean, we don't have time to go into it, but heaps of Uh women have come forward with allegations against him. Um, Paula Jones was Mm. a woman who accused him of actual full-on, like, rape and assault. Oh. Um, And it didn't go anywhere. Uh Like, but she says to this day that that happened. So lots of women have accused him of things, and that's why, you know, People have said that uh, when Hillary was campaigning against Trump, a lot of people said it was kind of hypocritical of her to talk about his treatment of women when she stood by her husband, who people have alleged, Mm. alleged, (laughs) he's done similar things. And he's now considered like a very respected kind Mm. of high up key father figure in the Democratic Party in the US, like quite an important. It seems like the one who came out of it best is him. Yeah, absolutely. Like Monica's the whore, Mm -hmm. Hillary's the prude, Mm -hmm. and he's just this guy who got caught up and I was just trying to be a good president. I'm going to go play (laughs) saxophone. and Playful. Exactly. I just gave you just the gist of Monica Lewinsky. Thank you. And I feel like a good way to finish is to ask you, like, if you this came up at a dinner party, uh-huh. do you feel like you now know enough to fudge your way through a conversation about it? All right. So in a nutshell, a 21-year-old girl gets an unpaid internship. She develops a crush on the most powerful person on the planet. Mm. 
tells him she has a crush on him. He takes advantage of that and uses her for sexual favours when he feels like mm-hmm. it over the course of 18 months. Yes. She starts confiding about what's happening to her best friend via the phone. Friend starts recording these conversations. Uh, she contacts the media and helps orchestrate an FBI takedown of the president in the process possibly destroying, at least temporarily, the life of someone who was ostensibly a friend of hers Mm. and then leading to a drawn-out media circus that um, belittled and was demeaning to two women but didn't seem to really stick at all to the guy who was, in many ways, the biggest perpetrator of all. You know what I'm going to (laughs) say? Gender dynamics. Because of gender (laughs) Yes, so that's, you know, I feel like you got got it, it. man. Oh, well, all credit to you. Just That was just the gist. Yeah, the only reason that it probably would come up is if they released a movie of this. Well, a TV show is coming out. Okay, who's playing Monica? Oh, my God. So it's by Ryan Murphy who does, you know. the American Horror Story. Yeah, the true crime story. So he did the OJ, People vs. OJ Simpson and Uh Gianni Versace. So Mm -hmm. he's doing an American I don't know, is it a crime? Not really. American politics story. Uh-huh. Um, Beanie Feldstein is playing I don't know Monica Lewinsky. I knew you wouldn't <laughs> <Send me> know. <laughs> picture. She's Jonah Hill's little sister and she is just mwah, chef's kiss perfect casting. Great. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be amazing. And Monica is a producer on it. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's really from like uh-huh. the victim's point of view, which as it effing should be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And who's playing Bill? Oh, I forget. I saw it the other day and it's not really a... Kind of looks like him, mm-hmm. but it's not someone that I got excited about. I was okay. just like, oh, whatever. And apparently they're still casting Hillary. Right. So. Who should that be? Meryl, maybe. <laughs> well, no, but she's back when she was young, though. Like, younger. Meryl can still play young. They That's can do true. amazing things with digital effects these Meryl days can well. play anything. Yeah. Meryl could play, you know, the royal baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Meryl could play the royal baby and the next day she could play, I don't know, Sir Ian McKellen. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about what Monica's been up to this year. We'll start off by talking about the TV show. That was one of the last things Rosie and I were talking about in the original episode. It's called American Crime Story Impeachment and they were meant to start filming it back in March of 2020, but, you know, so they pushed it out until October of 2020. It's a little bit later than expected, but it's been worth the wait. If you're not watching it yet, you should be, even if it's just to see Sarah Paulson's incredible portrayal of Linda Tripp. And it's good to know while you're watching that because Monica was an executive producer on the show, she had input on every single scene. And it was really important to her that what they showed was as close as possible to her memories of what happened, even the really embarrassing stuff like the G-string flash. She didn't give herself a pass. She didn't try to make anything flattering. She wanted it to be an honest warts and all portrayal. And the purpose of the show is to tell the story from the point of view of the three women who had the least power in the scenario and that were essentially used as pawns, that being Linda Tripp, Paula Jones and Monica Lewinsky. The show essentially puts you in all three sets of their shoes and it's five episodes in, it's the halfway point, 
And so far, we've seen very, very little of Bill and Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, ended up being played by Clive Owen and Edie Falco, both big actors, big names, but they haven't had much to do yet because the focus has just been on Linda, Monica and Paula. And the most interesting narrative so far really has been Linda Tripp's villain origin story because you might be like me, I found it so hard to imagine how someone could do something as cruel as she did, taping the phone calls with Monica and then handing them over. It was illegal, it was immoral, it was unethical and it was just so mean. I couldn't wrap my head around why she'd do that to her friend. To help people like me comprehend a bit better, the show does a brilliant job of portraying why she was so angry and so vindictive towards the Clintons. She blamed them for the fact she was shoved off the career path she saw for herself in the White House and for making her feel irrelevant and powerless. And she also knew that Bill was a sexual predator. In each episode, you see her grow more and more determined to bring him down because she knew he was a gross sex pest. And that's not to say that they make her at all likeable. They don't even try but they make it easier to understand why she made the choices she made and why she genuinely thought that she was justified in what she did without trying to get you to relate to her or really connect with her. So if that sounds interesting to you, get on board, start watching Impeachment. Um, It's on Binge, Foxtel in Australia. I'm sure you'll find it somewhere. I will be honest, it's a little slow, but if you're at all interested in this case, I do think you'll find it interesting and I think you'll enjoy it. Now let's talk about Monica's documentary. It's called 15 Minutes of Shame. Again, Monica executive produced it. She's also the narrator. She teamed up with the guy who made that documentary and TV show Catfish. She got him to direct the doco. And she was inspired to do it now because she saw, particularly in 2020, that Online mobs and trolls and bullies were getting worse and social media was being weaponized more and more frequently and the media platforms were becoming more reliant on public humiliations because they're so effective at keeping people engaged on the platforms. And, you know, it was back in 2015 that she delivered her TED Talk about how the world was becoming less compassionate and why she, as the patient zero of online public shaming and humiliation and harassment, was the one who decided to lead a campaign to try to end online bullying. And since then, she's been calling on the major social media platforms to do more to protect people by implementing policies that protect users from harassment and from mob behavior as well as calling on individuals to consider the humanity of the person that they're targeting with comments and posts and abuse. And she got a standing ovation when she did her TED Talk, and then millions of people have seen it on YouTube over the years. But regardless of all the positive attention her message received and all the applause she got, she then just sort of watched as things got worse and worse year after year. And I think it's pretty obvious that that's largely because Trump was president across all those years and he'd made it cool to be cruel and to be a bully and to have absolutely no shame. And then in 2020, things, as we know, got extra messy because of the tensions around the pandemic and 
the US election and because everyone was spending so much more time online as well. So Monica decided to make this documentary and I applaud her for it. I have so much admiration for everything that she's trying to achieve. I'm not saying it's the greatest documentary of all time. I can't imagine it's going to win any awards, but I would really recommend it for everyone, especially anyone who spends time on Twitter and also especially for teenagers. I think it'd be really beneficial for them. And it's also worth watching if you just want to support Monica, of course. It's quite heavily produced. There's lots of animations and graphics that help illustrate the points that they're making. They even chucked in a clip from Game of Thrones of Cersei's walk of shame, nudie run, which, by the way, if you haven't yet realized, welcome to the party, the nun that's saying shame, shame, shame while Cersei's doing that, that's Rebecca from Ted Lasso. The same actress played both roles. A lot of people's minds have been blown by that fact recently. Hmm. So they talked to a whole bunch of experts who study areas like public shaming and our online behaviours. They talked to a neuroscientist, a cultural historian, heaps of different experts to try to get the answers to the questions. Why do people enjoy seeing public shaming happen anywhere and especially online? How did we get to this point in our evolution? What is happening right now and who's making money out of it? And where are we headed if we continue to behave like this? Then to illustrate the real human impact of online shaming while they're answering those questions, they interview a bunch of people who went through their own very public shamings in 2020. And in each scenario, it's because each of them made a mistake. Like one of them just made a flippant comment on a Facebook group page. And then in each case, their stories were stripped of all context, all nuance, and then shared all across social media. And people around the world whipped themselves into a righteous rage that they directed at these individuals. They were targeted by mobs. Some of them had bot farms, troll farms set on them. They copped tons of abuse and death threats. All of them lost their jobs. Most of them were diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and in some cases their online harassment escalated into physical violence as well. Their lives exploded all because of a mistake or a misunderstanding and it's going to be really difficult for them to rebuild their lives. And it's really worthwhile for the viewer seeing the true human impact of a pylon. And I think a lot of people who have participated in pylons in the past, if they get the chance to watch this documentary, hopefully never do it again. Then there's a small amount of time given to explaining that public shaming can sometimes lead to positive outcomes, like when the target is a major corporation and they change their policies or change their actions or if the mob is more of a movement, like the Free Britney movement. Then, though, it does a very good job of showing that the shaming tactics that are used by people who are seeking some sort of justice can not only ruin an individual's life if they're directed at a single person over a misunderstanding, but also that they can be used by hate groups, like 
the example they use in the documentary is a gang of white supremacists who want to destroy the life of a prominent woman for being black. And the fact is that in each case, for both the movement that's seeking justice and for the group that's spreading hate, there are very few barriers that limit the use of their tactics. Because at the end of the day, Facebook and Twitter don't really care what's keeping you engaged on their platform as long as you're there for as much of the day as possible. If you've seen The Social Dilemma, you already know we're more profitable under the business models of all the big social platforms when we're outraged and we're polarized and furious because that helps keep us more engaged and addicted. So it works to their benefit to not do very much to stop public shaming online and to continue to let their algorithms push the most inflammatory, enraging stuff up to the top of everyone's feed. And so Monica's documentary, 15 Minutes of Shame, is calling for the platforms to make a change and edit the algorithm to save us from ourselves. And at the same time, it's calling for individuals to be less reactive and less click happy. And she suggests that when we learn about someone's transgressions or mistakes online, we sleep on it for at least one night before getting involved, whether that's commenting or tweeting or retweeting or whatever. And then 24 hours later, if you do decide to engage, remember the person on the receiving end of what you're sending is a person. And keep in mind, you don't know all of the nuance and the context of what happened. And then also take a moment to consider, are you just getting involved because you want to get yourself attention and followers and clout? And if that's the case, is it really worth it? Or are you genuinely hoping to do something good to encourage someone to change? Because if you are, that's great, but you're never going to change hearts and minds if you lead with anger and with hate. So find a way to track this down, watch it. I think there's something in there for everyone. I'll also post some links to some great interviews that Monica's done to promote the documentary Um, podcasts in particular are great. It's wonderful to hear her speak candidly about the work that she's doing and the journey that she's been on. She's really funny and articulate and so smart. And ever since she started taking back ownership of her narrative, she's done such impressive things. She, She spent the first few years after the Clinton incident allowing other people to take her story away from her, partly because she was being silenced by court orders. And she also just had so little power in the situation. And then she spent about a decade trying to outrun her narrative and hide from it and just live anonymously. And then she realized the power of owning and controlling her narrative. So she took it back for herself. And we love to see it. So that's it from me this week. I hope you all have a fab weekend, whether you're staying in or going out, make good choices and get in touch with us if you feel like it. If you've got suggestions for future episodes that you want to share with us, go ahead. Or if you've got requests for older stories that you'd like me to revisit over the next few weeks, go right ahead. We always love hearing from you. 
email justthegistpodcast at gmail.com or Instagram at justthegistpodcast. I'm at Jacob William Stanley and Rosie's at Rosie Waterland. And we love you. Listener.